Welcome to the Get Fit AF with Angie Fraser podcast, a fitness channel with a difference. We aim to challenge traditional views on fitness and what it means to be fit AF. We cover real questions from real people, including my clients and friends, chat with inspiring and passionate people, and maybe the odd rant along the way. Join us to get fit AF without the bullshit. Hi there guys. In this recording, I want to talk very briefly about sugar and how it interplays with your fat loss goals. Um, It's a question that I often get and I recently had a discussion with a nutrition client about whether or not she was eating too much sugar. I'm going to touch on that within this recording, but there's a few things that I'm going to cover as part of this little talk and that is the mechanisms for fat loss and where sugar sits within that, our food environment and our evolution. From a very basic standpoint, I'm not the world's most scientific person. I'm very practical and a lot of what I'm saying is based on my own experience and my experience in working with um, hundreds of clients over the last seven years. So um There are a few studies out there. I did start to do a search on them, but they're mostly animal studies. So um, rats in labs. Um, Some of these studies did conclude that sugar has addictive properties, but I have a little problem with animal-based studies besides the ethical considerations. But we are not rats in a lab. We're not in an environment where that is controlled. Well, that's arguable. But we're not in a little cage where um, people are controlling our access to food. And um, yeah, we're just not, we're not big rats either. We don't live like rats. We're not driven by the same biological uh, drivers as rats. We're, We're humans. And we've got a lot of other stuff going on in our lives compared to rats in a cage. So even human studies at times, the, the the results that they come up with and the way that they go about them is not always applicable or practical to people in the real world. So I just want to make that point there. That's not to say that we shouldn't take it into consideration, but we when we're looking at research, we really need to look at how it's done, what what how many subjects it was carried out on, what who were the subjects, and um what kind of um what kind of methods did they use to come to their conclusion as well um when we see things in the media like sugar is addictive we really need to unpack where that is coming from it's not addictive like a drug that you are driven to go and get but there's probably a few reasons why it certainly feels that way and i'm going to touch on those so as humans, we don't just eat for fuel like rats do. Um, we eat for pleasure, social, emotional reasons, just to name a few. Um, so when people struggle to manage their weight, we have a tendency to look for magic reasons for that rather than focusing on our own behaviors first. So there are going to be some aspects to your genetics, um, your body type, your um stuff that you've learned from childhood, like eating habits, that is going to be difficult to change, but you're not a victim to hormones, genetics, anything like that. 
you can really look at your own behaviors. And that's the first place to look before you start to look for medical reasons um, that you cannot lose weight or seemingly cannot lose weight. So I have been reading The Hungry Brain by Stephen Ganay. I think that's how I pronounce his name. He's Dr. Stephen Ganay. And I really like how it's laid out how our eating behaviors have evolved over time. And I feel like that links a little bit to our tendency to possibly overeat sugar or high calorie foods. And what Dr. Ganay is saying is that way back when we were hunting and gathering, our brain developed to seek out high reward, high calorie fuel and sort of not binge on it, but gorge on it because we would then potentially go some time without eating. So we are designed to store fat to keep us going for when uh, times when food is scarce. And if we came across like um, some honey, some wild honey or something like that, for example, we would gorge on it way back then. But then we would go a long time without food. We'd also be very active in going to um, seek out that food as well. So we'd be walking for miles and miles, running a little bit, potentially maybe climbing as well. Um, so you can see how our current lifestyle is a little bit different to that, but what do we have all around us? We have sugary, fatty foods. So you put sugar and fat together and it's amazing. That's why we all love chocolate. That's why we love cake. That's why we love donuts. Um, all the other good stuff that we're probably looking at having over Christmas, which there is nothing wrong with that, but it's about putting it into context. So hopefully I've explained Dr. Ganae's um, stuff really well. Another thing he touches on is how we're now, yes, we're living in that environment where we've got a lot of access to um, high calorie food, but not only that, we have food engineers designing it in line with how our brain will respond to it. So that is something to consider. Um Another thing to consider is that there are individual variances in appetite and fullness. So how you respond to the hormones that tell you that you need energy and that you've eaten enough. So I'm a pretty high appetite responder. I will always tend to overcompensate my energy expenditure with a higher calorie intake. I love food. I I can eat a fair bit without hitting that fullness factor. So I have to be really mindful around that. And that is probably a habitual thing that I developed in childhood for one reason or another. Um, Maybe being told, you know, we've got to eat all our food on our plate, that kind of stuff, all that innocent sort of stuff that we've done or that did I at times possibly use food as a distraction from being bored? So that would be like an emotional habit that's being created. There's all these kinds of things going on. But in terms of the appetite and fullness signals, so we are all different in that regard. And you've only got to look around you to your friends that seemingly effortlessly manage their body weight or stay a lower body weight. And I use... um, a friend as an example 
and she's always moving. She says that she eats a lot of junk, but I think that the portions I would, if I actually measured her food intake for the day, it would be in line with her daily energy needs needs, and it wouldn't often go above her energy needs because she doesn't store a lot of body fat. So there's that. I've also had a client complain about how her husband eats a piece of mud cake every day and never gains weight. But I happen to work nearby this guy and I see how much he moves. So even though he's having a high calorie snack, a calorie dense snack, he's utilizing that fuel all day. So there's those things to consider. The foods that we most often struggle with and that we um, put in the category of high sugar, like our junk foods that I've just described, they're highly processed. So the food is already broken down. It's um, milled right down and put together. It doesn't hit your satiety signal very quickly. So it doesn't tell you that you're full very quickly. As it's calorie dense, you can eat more of it before you feel full and you absorb more of the calories due to it being highly processed versus if you ate an apple, for example. On the plus side, sugar can be a fantastic performance fuel for workouts, and I've used it in this way before. So up to half an hour before doing an intense workout, I would either have some liquid carbs or some red frogs, for example, and then I would absolutely smash out my workout to make sure that I'm using that as fuel for the workout. So don't do it before, you know, a steady state cardio work, a steady state long sort of low intensity workout make sure that you're going to be pushing really hard to really utilize that fuel. And it has uh, the added benefit of preserving lean tissue. So if you're, this is why um, athletes will often carb up before um, an intense bout of work so they can actually get that quick fuel source and also know that they're not burning into their lean muscle tissue as part of that, um, that workout that they're doing. Or training. So I've touched on energy balance. I've touched on our food environment. Um, I've touched on individual variances between appetite and satiety. So fullness. Um, so I think just to summarize that, it's important to note that we will store any food that we eat in excess of our daily energy needs as body fat. But dietary fat, so the fats that we eat, are more readily converted to body fat because it's chemically similar. And I did touch on using um, carbohydrate as fuel in workouts. And so your body will utilize carbohydrates and protein for fuel and other um, processes in your body before it will store it as body fat. So it's very difficult for your body to convert carbohydrate in particular to body fat. It's a, it's a tough process. So it will use it as fuel first. That being said, if you're eating, you know, frequently, regularly, large amounts of junk food, which are that good combination of fat and sugar, um, and you're eating them in a surplus, you're going to very easily store more body fat. 
That being said, we should be able to eat for enjoyment. There is nothing wrong with including foods that you enjoy just for the hedonic pleasure of it into your diet, and you absolutely should. But they need to be enjoyed in the right context and the right amount. Emotional eating comes into this with um, a lot of the people that I work with and myself. And if you have tried to restrict yourself away from certain foods because they're high in sugar, for example, for a long time, if you end up having um, a negative experience or a low mood or some kind of trigger that would lead you to resort to eating these foods um, because it may be a habit of yours, that can often feel like a loss of control and lead to feeling ashamed of yourself for not sticking to your diet. Those are, shame particularly is an unproductive um, emotion when it comes to um, trying to improve your eating habits or do some fat loss because it tends to send you in the other way uh, to what we want to do. So what will happen is you may have an emotional eating moment you feel like you've lost control, you've eaten the food that you said you were going to avoid as part of your diet, and then you're really down on yourself for having done that. So what do you do? You feel negative, so you start to eat more of that food um, because you feel in that negative state towards yourself. So very, very unproductive. I would like, I prefer my clients not to label food good or bad because it does tend to lead to that that kind those kinds of negative emotions and I would actually like my clients to eat the food that they enjoy that they may have um they may have identified as being associated with a loss of control around eating I would rather you have small amounts of that when your willpower is high so you can take that food off the pedestal once and for all and stop putting it up, stop restricting yourself from it, stop putting it up on the pedestal as this thing that you can't have until you get to that point where you cannot avoid it anymore and then you absolutely binge on it. So um, my preference is to try and incorporate some of those foods into your diet and, and help you to do that. Um, so... I was checking in with a nutrition client recently, seeing how things were going, how her plan was going. And she said to me, look, I think I'm maybe may eating too much sugar. And I asked her, well, what is that doing to your total daily energy intake? It's yes, it's valid to say that I may need to reduce the amount of sugar that I eat because when it's very easy to overeat it, as I've just explained before. So yes, Having foods that contain high amounts of sugar may prevent your fat loss because they may put you into an overall energy surplus for the day. But I want you to understand that if you ate nothing but sugar in a calorie deficit, you would still lose body fat. It's only when you go over your daily energy needs that you start to store that body fat. So Yes, maybe it's good to reduce the instances of eating certain foods. Definitely, it's a good idea to try to look at including more whole foods, so single ingredient foods in your diet um, on a regular basis so that you can then include some of these foods that contain sugar in the right proportion for your goals. So I hope that helps you guys. Um, 
I really hope that you don't feel guilt or shame over what you enjoy at Christmas with your family. Look, it's likely that a lot of that food is going to contain a lot of sugar. I know some of the things that I've been making do. They're going to contain a lot of dietary fat. But if you're going to enjoy those moments with your family and you're going to actually move on from them afterwards and get back into your good routine, enjoy them for what they are. I think when we deny ourselves, so if we're around our family and we're like, oh, no, no, none of that for me, I can't have that, it starts to place that food on a pedestal and you're more likely to go and privately binge on it than if you enjoy it in the context of being around family and friends and not feeling ashamed at all and knowing that you absolutely can include foods with sugar into your meal plan whatever your goals are. So enjoy Christmas and I will see you guys in the new year. If there's anything that I can help you with, please email me at coach at fitaf.com.au. Catch you soon. 